Imagine your father had more than one wife. I don't think it's right. I don't believe in it. Or your mother migrated away from your home. He gave me a rose a flower. Oh, welcome. They're just two experiences that came from a recent radio project in Dublin. It was run by the Forum on Migration and Communications at the Dublin Institute of Technology. You'll hear more about the project later, but briefly, a group of women were trained in using audio recorders and decided to make short radio documentaries about all sorts of stories. We have five extracts in this programme, but there's a link to the project on the dock on one site. The first story is from Abiba Ndeli. The project was about family. I have been living in Ireland for eight years now and I felt that I had made a new family here. So what better story to talk about my neighbours who welcomed me. I was able to interview not only the neighbours but also capture my daughter Jemima playing with the friends, the other kids in the flats and I thought it did work well in the end. Two of the neighbours I interviewed were Geraldine Kelly, who lives on the top balcony, and Rita Cochran, who lives two doors down. If your child got sick late hours at night or anything and you needed to knock on neighbours for some medicine um, or a car to bring you to the hospital or to ring for an ambulance or anything, I mean, they would, they would open the door gracefully to you. I would do the same for my neighbours. The same as in if you're running short, like you're in the middle of cooking your dinner and you discover that you're short of um, an ingredient, you can knock in. I mean, that's just the way of the, the flats, I think, as I said, a big community and it's, it's still alive in air complex anyway. I can remember running to you for onions. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Did I give them to you? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I was agreeably shocked by the genuine interest of my neighbours, wanting to get to know me better. Geraldine Kelly from Donikani, has lived in the city centre flats for the past 17 years. She is married to David Kelly and has an 18-year-old son, also called David. Life in Ireland has changed. It's changed. I can dramatically change. It would have changed in the last 20 years anyway, like when I was a child. You lived by the church. Like the family life was the church. If um, the church told you not to do it, you're inclined to not to do it. Like, more so than today, they don't, they don't seem to have, in the different generations, they don't seem to have the same um, they don't grip as they had back then. I mean, you went to Mass, there was no such thing as you telling you weren't going to Mass on a Sunday. You went to Mass on a Sunday. And if, when you were old enough to go by yourself, they were waiting on you to come in to ask you what, the, what was that gospel about, because they'd have been there prior to you. How was life in your family? Um, well, they've been the same, like, as everyone else's family. Like, we were raised the same way. We had holidays down the country in caravans. That was our holiday. And we um, struggled, because that's what it was. You got ties at birthdays, but there'd be no night today where the kids today, a new tie comes out and they have to get it straight away. When I was a child, Christmas was a lifetime. My mother would say, Christmas is every day now for kids. You have become a member of my family. Pardon? Uh, you have become a member of my family. I remember your yeah, family. Yeah, and um, my kids call you auntie. 
Can you just um, tell me why you you came to us? Because you you came to us and um, you offered your friendship and your love. What motivated you to do that? Uh, because I was brought up that way. I was brought up that if you can do somebody a favour, you do it. You don't just stand back and say, well, I'm all right, let them manage and let them get on how they feel like. And if you're sitting around five hours a day doing nothing and that person needs you to do something, you're there. An extract there from Abiba Ndile's short documentary about her neighbours in Dublin. The next extract is from Vanessa Ogida. I particularly liked the topic family because I'm from a very large one. My father had five wives. Polygamy, for me, it was it, what the topic was quite interesting because when I was growing up, my house was like a movie scene. Things happened every minute. The way people see polygamy, you know, negative sides are more. But for me, my own house was a very happy one when my dad was alive. Were you happy with the way the programme worked out? Yeah, for me, it was a way of telling my own life story. I remember those days when I strolled into neighboring polygamous homes and all I ever heard were exchanges of insults, curses and fights. Polygamy is uh, not something that should be practiced. Uh, I don't think it's right. I don't believe in it. Polygamy, what I think, it's not a good experience. Polygamy is not something that any any man or woman should get himself involved with. It's very stressful, trouble, jealousy, so many things involved with it. It's, it's, it's really bad. Dad always referred to himself as an umbrella. An umbrella that had brought us all together. One which was providing protection and closeness. Often, he would say to my sister and I, he worried about what would happen when the umbrella would fold up. He would talk about his strengths, his weaknesses, his fears and hopes. He always seemed to have this listening ear. He seemed to know what you were going through. He was able to advise you and he was able to go all the way. He wouldn't think, okay, I'm not the mom, I'm the dad, like most African fathers would. He would just leave whatever he, he, he was doing and come out to you to tell us stories of not really experiencing the kind of l- big family life and the kind of love that he, he wanted from his father. And I think all that he missed, he put into his own family. He really was a big heart and he pulled us all together. I think dad was the reason why polygamy worked at all. He had such a big, big heart. We all loved to play amongst ourselves. Sometimes we even gossiped about each of our mothers. There was trust. But as I grew into adulthood, the trust began to disappear. There were struggles. There was gossip. There were exchanges of harsh words. These were often more protracted than ever envisaged. Things began to fall apart. The differences could no longer be sorted out amicably. My beloved father's fears had sadly now become reality. The umbrella had indeed folded. 
it was our culture and we were, we were meant to believe that it would make us better people. But no, I don't think it made me a better person. I don't think it influenced my way of thinking now at all. Rather, I think it put some kind of hurt inside of me that's still healing now. Every time I think of polygamy, I think of that. I think if you have a, a heart like that, and if you could live forever, polygamy would be good. But since those things are never the same, polygamy comes in with a big, big question mark. In my father's house, in my father's house, in my father's house, there are many mountains there. In my father's house, there's no love. An extract from Vanessa Ogida's documentary about polygamy. Vanessa is from Nigeria, as is the maker of the next piece, Loretta Ibosono. She lives in Balbriggan, and in her documentary, she managed to link the sounds of the North Dublin coast with a story about an event in Nigeria which first brought that country to the attention of many Irish people. By the seaside, I am in our family home in Onicha, my mother's place. I heard stories when I was a child. Not written, but passed down orally from generation to generation on the steps of moonlit porches and besides dying fires in my Sierra Leonean grandmother's kitchen. My grandmother was Mary Jane Coker. I was about three years when the war started. And I remember always my big brother, Cletus, holding my hand everywhere we went. He was 10 years old then, tall and very handsome. He was a quiet boy while I was the noisy child, always demanding attention, which he gave me. Now I would like to tell you about my mother's travails during the Biafran War as an African Igbo woman struggling to survive that dangerous and destructive war while the world watched it. I lived through the war and I survived it. I remember a lot of ugly scenes of the war, the smells and the ooze emanating from decaying bodies. I remember the day my big brother, Cletus, died. That hot afternoon in May, Cletus was very sick and I had to play with him indoors because he was not allowed outside. But once I got the chance, I escaped outside to play with the other children. I noticed the way Cletus bid me goodbye, as if in finality, as I ran outside to play. I didn't realize it was the end. That this was the last time I would see my brother. I remember the wailing and the crying in my home as I ran back from my play place. I was confused. I could not understand what was happening. I only realized later that Cletus had died because of inadequate medical attention due to the war. My mother spoke many Nigerian languages, including Edo fluently. Ko, e, koyo, 
And this helped us to survive during the war because when we were interrogated at the border posts by the federal troops, it was her skill that saved us from being captured as Igbos. My mother had within her a rare strength that sustained not only my brothers and sisters and all the family, but all those who sought her advice and leaned upon her wisdom. I remember seeing her and all the young women disguise their looks in order to cross the border to safety, to avoid being raped during the war. Now I can hear my mother saying, What in heaven's name is this, Loretta? Please remember your mama Clet's daughter. I order you to calm down. But her voice of joy and laughter, her unending strength and constant wisdom remained part of all those who knew and loved her well. Sleep in peace, Mama Cleth, for your great-grandson, Harvey, is an Irish boy. His mother is from Ranella in Dublin. Harvey looks so much like Cleth. I remember my mother begging to be shown her dead son's grave. But this was not allowed, as it is regarded as taboo in Igbo culture. To see the grave of your child. She never saw Clet's grave. Never. Kachifo! Good night. Kachifo! Good night. Kachifo! Loretta Ibusuno with an extract there from her documentary about the Biafran War in Nigeria. You're listening to a series of extracts from documentaries made by the Forum on Migration and Communications as part of a recent radio training course. The next documentary maker is Gladys Atsenokai. My story follows my journey as an immigrant in Ireland, my struggles as a mother and the challenges of postnatal depression, particularly as an African woman in Ireland. Why is that an issue? Because there's so much myth surrounding postnatal depression, particularly among the African community. It's a taboo. It's something we don't talk about. Is it not? No. Oh. And the piece that you made, were you happy with your final documentary? Yes. It was a healing process for me. And it was a a voice for me to tell other women outside, particularly Nigerian women to be precise, that having postnatal depression is not a problem, that you can't talk about it, that talking about it, it makes you heal and it heals faster when you share with others. How I missed my family, especially my baby sister. We used to stroll together in Lagos, enjoying the cool evenings. We also laughed at the antics of our neighbor's kids as they chased each other down the streets in their dirty underpants, but they were happy. The local drunk also provided a much-needed entertainment after a hard day at work. He seemed to be always drunk. Some say he deliberately got drunk to annoy his wife, who was also the neighborhood gossip. Ours was a small community of mostly low-income families, but the love bond was strong, despite the level of poverty. Neighbors watched out for each other. You could drop in for dinner without prior invitation and not be considered a nuisance. We celebrated the baths together and mourned the loss of a loved one as a family. It was truly a community filled with love. Surprisingly, I missed the hustle and bustle of Lagos, the commercial nerve centre of Nigeria. The traffic was always chaotic, but I loved it. The madness was part of the fabric of the city. (laughs) 
Ireland is a far cry from home. Everything is different. Though the people are friendly, settling down was hard. Everyone is busy and wants privacy. You couldn't just walk to your neighbors for a chat. The fences separating the houses were low, but it kept out more than you can imagine, most especially a lonely woman. I expected the birth of my son to bring me the companionship I so much craved. When Josh was born, I craved the support that comes with childbirth in Nigeria. Families, friends and neighbors will rally around the new mother and there is usually a huge party. The only visitors I got were from the nurses making the usual medical rounds. I felt horrible for taking on my frustration on an innocent child. I blamed him for all the problems in the world. My full-blown figure, stretch marks, unemployment, including the war in Iraq. The guilt only made matters worse. What kind of a mother will resent her own child? I asked myself. No woman will want to have a bad relationship with a child. Something must have triggered it off. So it depends on individual, how you see that situation and what brought about that situation. If it is something that is connected to the child, then the woman should seek help. It is unusual for a Nigerian woman to come out and say she's depressed or has postnatal depression. It is plain unacceptable. Our society is deeply rooted in traditional and cultural values, not unlike the way Ireland was years ago. I decided to speak with two other Nigerian mothers, Beauty Olufude and Precious Benson, who shed more light on what it means to be depressed in our culture. When you complain about being, you know, depressed after giving birth to your child, people will not want to look into what caused it. They just conclude and everyone becomes judgmental and rigid. Usually we don't talk about it. We don't even want people to know about it. It could be an embarrassing issue, not only for the mother, for the immediate family and for the whole family. So it's things that they cover up. I remember my first scan and listening to the baby's heartbeat. I feared coping on my own. Many times I broke down and cried in public to the utter shock of onlookers and dismay of my friends. But I couldn't share my problem with anyone out of guilt, shame and fear of being labelled an unfit parent. I was terrified I'd lose my child. We look at childbearing as a thing that should give you joy. And so when you now have a woman coming to a place of depression after birth, he's not taken lightly. Josh is three years old now and so adorable. It's not been easy, but I have learned to embrace the challenges and beauty of being a mother. Ireland has also opened a world of opportunities for me to be all I dreamed of given the chance. I encouraged new mothers that there is no shame in being overwhelmed with your new bundle, but to reach out to friends and share your concerns. An extract there from Gladys Atsanakai's documentary on postnatal depression. The training course run by the Forum on Migration and Communications was run by Roisin Boyd. I wanted them to really enjoy broadcasting and radio in particular because I love radio and I wanted them to listen to radio to listen to Irish radio to know the wonders of radio and how you can communicate and you know that people listening to this now will will actually get an insight into these women's lives about aspects of Africa that maybe you don't often hear about. Tell me about the final piece we have. 
The final piece is Marsha Dunn's piece. Marsha's father is Irish and her mother is Zambian. And her mother came here 30 years ago to marry Marsha's father and she got a wonderful welcome. And unfortunately, things have changed now that she doesn't feel so welcome now. Hilda does not feel so welcome now and she's going back to live in Zambia. This extract begins with Hilda describing her journey to school and what she encountered. And then every now and again we'd come across lions or animals crossing the road going down to the river because that road was parallel with the river and we'd meet the animals and we'd run. We'd either run back or we ran forward. But every time they saw this something to eat us, they'd grab me and they had names for me, all types of names. They used to call me Skaradi, it means a coloured person. Hey, Skaradi, hurry up! And they'd drag me along and then eventually the nuns complained to my dad, says, you know, your daughter's not managing, she can't manage this, we better put her in the boarding school. There's a boarding here. And my dad thought, oh, my prayers are answered. Stick her in the boarding school. And eventually I was actually starving because this boarding school didn't, they didn't have any food. My dad wasn't bothered because he had a new wife and he was, it was, he was, he thought the nuns had sorted all his problems out. I was forgotten in this school for two years and eventually I adapted. I first arrived in Dublin on a spring day in April and my first impression of Dublin was wow. The daffodils were out, the grass was so green because we had just left, come from Zambia where the rains had just stopped and everything was brown. But um, I've never seen daffodils before and I thought, oh, when I go back I'm collecting all these to take back not knowing they wouldn't grow in Zambia. I came with um, a serious suntan. <laughs> Natural suntan. <laughs> Natural suntan. Permanent. Permanent. In Leinster Avenue when I first came, there was uh, Mr. O'Keefe. He owned the little green, the grocer there. When we went in there with my mother-in-law, she took me there to introduce me, I suppose, to the shop. He gave me a rose a flower. Oh, welcome. And my mother-in-law turned around and says, Mr. O'Keefe, I've been shopping here for many years and you've never given me a rose. <laughs> but um, he said no for the beautiful bride mm-hmm. oh, so I, f- I felt so nice but he was they were always very nice to me the little shops the changes I've seen were in Ireland mm. when I came everyone was so friendly no one talks to you anymore they don't talk to each other on the buses they don't know who lives next door to them when I first came on Leinster Avenue everybody welcomed me everyone knew who I was from the East Wall, right up to the main road. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wanted to be your friend, but now all you get is silent stares because they, everyone thinks you're a foreigner and you're coming to take their jobs. Are you going mm. to come back? Maybe to see my children, but apart from that, I don't feel welcome anymore. I get abuse. Like every um, dark person gets, you know, they don't know your story, they don't know your history, they don't know nothing. They just put you in the same, um, you know, you're just a foreigner because you're dark or you're black or you you you're different from us. They so I don't feel. I just want to be myself amongst my own kind, I suppose. 
There's a link to the forum on migration and communications project on the documentary on one site and photographs of the programme makers. You've been listening to The Curious Ear. I'm Ronan Kelly.